I have a question for you as we begin the sermon. What are you expecting from God when you give offerings? What are you expecting from God when you give offerings? Now we're going to be talking about offerings today. And some of you are going to be turned off. I don't blame you. I don't like talking about offerings or hearing sermons about offerings. However, I want you to be patient because I'm going to change your mind about offerings. Because the problem and the reason why so many of us don't like sermons about offerings is because they are not biblical sermons about offerings. They're the using the Bible to manipulate us almost to the point of extortion where you have to, you have to, you have to. And that is not God's plan. And that is not what God has in mind when it comes to offerings. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now that in God's economy, offerings do not deplete us we increase because of them. I'm going to show that to you, and you will hopefully have a good perspective about offerings. There's a story that is told about a grandmother. She was kind of a cranky woman. She was a little short. Uh, she was a churchgoer, very religious, but she wasn't necessarily easy to live with. She had her grandson with her, and uh, they were at the beach, Grandma didn't want to have anything to do with the water, so she just kind of sat there and uh, watched the child as it played in the surf. A large wave came up and swept the boy out to sea. The grandmother lifted her hands and began to call out to God saying, look, how can you do this to me? Look at all the offerings I've given you. And she started naming all the things she's given offerings to and how much they were and all that type of stuff. And uh, she made it very clear that this wasn't fair. Soon a large wave came in and placed the boy safely on the beach where he started playing happily again. A voice boomed from heaven. I have brought the child back to you. Grandma responded, he had a hat. <laughs> what are you expecting from God when you give offerings? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen. If you have your Bible, it's a New Testament book. If you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, keep going to the right. You go through Acts, you go through Romans, you go through 1 Corinthians, you'll come to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, So that each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, we've learned thus far that this offering that Paul is talking about was to relieve human suffering. It's an offering for the believers who were in Jerusalem who were being persecuted. They'd lost their jobs. They had uh, 
suffered much because of the cause of Christ. And so as Paul traveled around and started churches, he would take up offerings to relieve the human suffering back in Jerusalem. This verse begins in verse 7. It says, so let each one. Apparently, there is the expectation that each one would participate on some level. And it's true, we all cannot participate on the same level, nor is that expected. And it's also true that there are seasons in life when we can't do what we can do at other times. God understands all those. I'd like for you to look at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 13. It says, For I do not mean that others should be eased, but you burden, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, and there may be equality. We are not being asked necessarily to give more. What is being said is everybody do something. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Here we find a reference to the manna. Every morning when the children of Israel were journeying through the wilderness, the manna would appear. He who gathered much, he who gathered little, they all ended up with the same. The point is, he who gathered. Now, I have a question for you. How many of you believe it is good to give to the poor? How many of you believe it's good to give to all the poor? We actually, scripturally, aren't required to do that. We can be manipulated by people to give to folks who simply are not worthy of it. Let me give you an example. Notice it says, he who gathered. In God's system, back in the Old Testament, if we were poor, if we didn't own land, if our families had done something and we, we no longer had access to gardening and stuff like that, God's way of feeding the poor was for those people who had land, when they gleaned the land, they were to leave part of it there so that the poor people could come and get something. But they had to work. They were not given it. They had to work to get it. Work has a dignity to it. Work has a way of rising people up from generational poverty. In fact, if you turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, that'll be to the right in your Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, you will read in verse 10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Just because someone's poor doesn't mean you're to help them. They may be wanting to be poor. They might be working a system to remain in poverty. They might be making choices that cause them to remain in poverty. We are to ask questions. The first one is, are you working? If you're not, why not? Can we help you find work? Can we help you find a place of employment? So please understand this. 
that there is a rhyme and a reason to offerings in God's Word. It is not, well, I have $10 and you have one, so here's four and a half and hopefully we'll be closer to each other in, uh, in what we've got. That's not God's principle. If someone is working, trying to work, trying to get out of their poverty, trying to get out of their situation, folks, we will try to help them. That's biblical. But if someone's there and they like it there and they have no intention of getting out of it and they're just going to work the system and go from place to place and agency to agency and church to church, there is no compulsion, none, scripturally, to help them. If you disagree with me, I know you still have to love me or you can't go to heaven. So, I'm not worried. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes. This is everyone being involved. And not everyone can do all that others can do, but it's all right. Everybody can do something. It goes on to say, as he purposes in his heart. Now this denotes a well-considered decision. It is not a spur-of-the-moment emotional act. It is the careful thought that adds the heart to the gift. It is not somebody just trying to pay off their conscience. It is not somebody saying, I don't want to bother being involved, but I'll give you money so someone else can be bothered and be involved. No, it's not that. It is the heart being given as well. And we read that in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5 regarding the Macedonians. When they gave, it says, first they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. So this giving, these offerings are a heartfelt experience. We read on in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly. Grudgingly means not out of grief. That is reluctantly. Giving that saddens the giver is not biblical giving. Giving that saddens the giver is not biblical giving. It should not be painful. In fact, uh, how many of you have ever heard someone stand up in church, make an offering appeal and say, give until it hurts? Have you ever heard that? That's not biblical. Giving till it hurts is simply not a biblical concept. Because as we're going to see, the giving and the reason for giving and the reciprocal effect of giving does not hurt. It blesses. It encourages. It strengthens. You could picture it this way. Hands that are like this, hands that are like this. The life that doesn't give is a closed fist life. The life that gives is open. It's a happy life. And there are blessings that come to those that give. I want you to keep that in mind. It says here in verse 7, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity. Necessity means being required to give. Extortion, if you will. 
You can't even serve in some churches unless you give. Uh, I understand that on one level, but really when you think about it, that's extortion. There could be group pressure. There could be impulses to give in order to compensate for failures in some area of our lives. None of those reasons are good. But it's another reason. Look at verse 7. It says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now this has brought me some angst this week because I couldn't answer this question. And the question was this, doesn't God love everyone? Why would the Bible single out cheerful givers as being the ones God loves? What does that mean? And so in studying it, I came to the amplified version of the Bible, which takes the Greek words and gives enough English words to feather out its meaning in its context. Here's what is written there. God loves, that is, he takes pleasure in, prizes above other things, and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful giver. It there is, in this sense, God loves everybody, but the cheerful givers get his full attention. The cheerful givers are not forgotten by him. The cheerful givers he refuses to be away from. Why? What is going on with this? Now, if you are not a believer in God, if you do not have the Spirit of God in your heart, what I'm going to share with you is going to sound absolutely ridiculous. And you're going to wonder what it's all about. But if you do have God in your heart, you have the Spirit of God testifying to you, you're going to say, that makes perfect sense. And so one of the things we have to understand is teaching biblical giving to somebody who is not a believer is impossible. They're not going to get it. They're simply not going to get it. Because we're talking about an economy that is involved with those who walk with God. Now, how many of you give taxes to the government? You have a strange way of thinking. They take mine. I don't give them anything. If I didn't let them take it, I would go to prison. Now, so ask me this question. Jerry, do you have a great deal of joy when you pay your taxes? I'm glad you asked. No, I don't. I don't. For one, I don't trust the leadership. I don't believe in their cause, and I don't think there's accountability. I think yeah, and I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. That's, in many ways, what people think of offerings when it comes to church. It's a duty. It's a responsibility. It is something you are required to do. You give until it hurts, and somehow that makes you a better person. That's not what God is saying here. God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because in 
his economy, giving, never, ever, ever diminishes. It always increases. Let me show it to you. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Giving is not losing. Giving is sowing. Why do you sow seed? So there will be a harvest. In God's economy, giving with a cheerful heart is waiting for the harvest. It is anticipating the harvest. God gives back more than the giver gives. And the giver enjoys the experience of watching people being blessed by their giving, and God enjoys the experience of blessing the giver. And it is true, the more we understand this and the more we give, the more God gives to us so we can give. Let me prove that to you scripturally. Look at verse uh, 9, same chapter. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. Talking about a giver. His righteousness remains forever is simply saying God remembers for eternity the giving of his people. Verse 10. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which cause thanksgiving through us to God. When we give, we are not diminishing, we are sowing. Imagine the farmer with his seed. We'll say it's wheat. And he's walking around, he's got this wheat, but he's saying, man, this is my, these are my seeds. I don't want to lose my seeds. I don't want to lose them, so I'm, you know, I have to have some here, you know. No, what's he going to do? He's going to fan. He is, going to, he is going to plant every single seed. Why? He's anticipating a harvest. Now, I'm not in this illustration asking you to give everything. I'm telling you what the Bible's teaching, that in God's economy, giving is sowing, anticipating a harvest, and God is the one who gives the seed. If you have the capacity to give, God gave that to you. If you're in a situation in life that you can give, God gave you that situation. If you give, He will add to you so you can give more. That's why God loves a cheerful giver. What does cheerful mean? I think you're going to get a kick out of this. I'm going to tell you the Greek word. You tell me the English word that comes from it. <clears throat> Hilaros. Hilarious. That's right. God loves a hilarious giver. He loves somebody that is so exhilarated in their spirit. They're looking for ways to help other people. They're looking for ways to give. And if it's means, they use means. If it's time, they use time. If it's other ways, they use other ways. The principle applies in every area of life. And God loves that hilarious giver. 
He takes pleasure. He prizes above other things and is unwilling to abandon or to do without that person who gives an acceleration of spirit. Christian giving is not a diminishing process. It is sowing and reaping. You see it from God himself. When God loves, he gives. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. What are you expecting from God when you give offerings? I know what I'm expecting. The ability and the capacity to give more than I could before. And in church, the reality is this. You shouldn't be coerced. You shouldn't be browbeat. You should come to church, and it works this way. All you hear about is the opportunity. And then you choose from a heart that you've thought about what you want to participate in. And when you share from your heart, God will replenish what you've lost and you'll be able to share again. That's how it works. Now, how many of you like the biblical concept of offerings? Good. I happen to have an offering. No. I'm <laughs> what are you expecting from God when you give offerings? More than you've ever had before.